This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project. Teachers teaching teachers. Welcome to Write Answers. I'm Noah Waspy, and I'm here with Beth Reimer. How is it going, Beth? Hey, Noah. Things are going great. You know, it's almost Thanksgiving here as we're recording, and I'm finding lots of thankful moments, small joys. Well, I mean, you know, with Thanksgiving being a probable holiday now that we're starting to uncover more and more about its origins, or maybe some of us are becoming more awakened to its origins, um, I think that there is still something in being focused on thankfulness and gratitude, especially in a school year when it's been probably the most challenging school year that any of us remember, right? Right. I think that's exactly, that's exactly it about this moment in, the, in time of just slowing down and finding moments to be thankful for. Um, as we keep working on all of the hard things that have to change in the world to embrace those small joys at the same time. Yeah. And one thing I'm thankful for is all the work that's going on at the Ohio Writing Project. Holy cow. Beth, do you want to tell us what's going on with OWP right now? Yeah. Uh, so there is a lot to be thankful for. We just finished up some great workshops and we're planning our spring workshops. We have a workshop focused on teachers writers. So if you are interested in you know, um, tapping into that writer inside you, you'll be in this community and get three graduate credits. We also have other writing opportunities that you can find on if you follow our Twitter or our Instagram at OWPMU. And we have um, a class that I'm excited about that's gonna be focused on teaching small and big times. This idea of what are the small intentional kind of teaching moves that we can use in our classroom from feedback to planning micro units that can help us sustain ourselves as teachers and our students through this spring ahead that we don't really know what's going to happen. And, you know, one, in addition to all that, kind of adding on to what you're saying, the writing project is doing more with teachers writing than ever before, or at least as much as I can remember since I've been associated with the, with the group. Um, We've been doing writing reunions. We are having writing pop-up events. We have a writing group that's starting up. It's an exciting time to be a writer because, I mean, this is how we're going to document this crazy time, but it's also how we can process the craziness and maybe even, I don't know, engage in some writing therapy, some self-care. Right. And there's something about our words, right, that can both ground ourselves and open up possibilities. So letting our words have some power on the page, I think is so important. Agreed. So uh, today's poem is writing themed, but maybe not in the best of ways. It's called The Editor's X by Caitlin Doyle. Here it is. Because you're gone, I take a book to bed, the flame of passion, scabbard at his thigh, Lord Henry gets the girl. You'd only buy top list book picks, the romance genre's dead, you'd say, when promises of ivy wed lured me to bargain bins. I learned to lie about my day, hoard harlequins on the sly while you were off at work, 
your office spread with red ink proofs. But now it makes me yawn to read Beyond the Lover's Wedding Night. I chose the flame, not even halfway through. I closed the flame, not even halfway through. His sword grows dull while she goes on and on about how lovers must stay true. I'd, rather, I'd write another ending, if I could, for you. I love that poem. <laughs> so many endings we could rewrite. Don't we? we could. <laughs> That's right. And don't we also all know, like, an English major person who took things a little bit too seriously and maybe lost <laughs> track of the forest for the trees? Absolutely. So today we're talking to a math teacher. Her name is Nina Sudnick, and she's a Heinemann Fellow. And even though she's a math teacher, maybe because she's a math teacher, I think she's an important person for us to talk to. Because Beth, before we started this season, this school year, this season of the podcast, whatever you want to call it, we were talking about how we wanted to theme this season of uh, interviews. And what we came to was decisions teachers make. Can you talk a little bit about why decision-making is the thing for us to be concerned with right now? Right. And how long do we have, Noah, to talk about this? Because I actually just love the idea of intentional decision-making, um, not only for teachers, but just as a side note, the idea that we can teach students to make intentional decisions. And I think maybe that's the reason we thought about this. This idea of decision-making as teachers, uh, writers or teachers of writing is, it, it's empowering, right? It, thinking about this idea that we can slow down and reflect on our practice and even like pause and look at something that worked in our classroom or something that didn't work in our classroom. And then we can turn it into intentional decision-making. And in a time when you're unmoored, right? In a time when things around you are changing and we don't know when you're gonna get an email to change the mode that you're gonna teach in, this idea of I can make intentional decisions about my classroom is important to remember. And the other thing that's important to remember is that I can make intentional decisions from what I'm learning all around, from myself as a writer, from what I see in my classroom, from what a student says to me, from asking students, from writing about it. And so thinking too about the way we make intentional decisions from our planning to our teaching to any of our practices just seemed like something that I wanted to know about. Like how do teachers make decisions? Because there's so many ways to do it, right? But it would ground us knowing that we could make decisions. And one of the to, to your point, one of the smartest decision makers I know is Nina Sudnick. Um, it also helps that she experimented for her Heinemann project, her Heinemann fellowship. She experimented with having students write in math class, but it's not just writing for a gimmick. It's not writing for the novelty of it. It's not even just like a regular writing across the curriculum. I have my quote fingers up. It's the most intentional kind of writing I can imagine a teacher of any subject having their students do. So I'm excited for this episode because we get to go along with Nina from start to finish, the ups and downs, through the decision decisions she made around having students write, even though it wasn't in a writing classroom. I think every teacher is going to so benefit excited. from this. Me yeah, too. I'm just so excited because this idea of writing is central to what writing projects do and this idea that writing is inquiry for yourself as a teacher for your students that writing helps you 
think. And I hadn't met Nina before you introduced me to her. So I'm so excited for everyone to get to meet her. So let's introduce the world to Nina Sudnik. Many summers ago, Nina Sudnik was presenting at and attending a conference for math teachers. In one session, she was in the crowd as a teacher talked about how she had had students write about how it was going for them in her math class. As this teacher spoke, a light bulb went off in Nina's mind. All of a sudden, she was flooded with possibilities. Her pursuit of these writing possibilities in math class led her down a path to where she is today, as an educational leader and a Heinemann Fellow. Much of Nina's work has been about getting students in subjects other than ELA writing in meaningful ways. Our interview was all about this very work. And in this first section of our discussion, Nina talks about how she got started and about how you can too. Check it out. So that made me really think. I was just like, you know, I've thought about math journals before. I did a little bit in my prior time at the middle school. But there's always the big question of, you know, do you, should you read everybody's work? Should they do it on a single sheet of paper? Should they do it in a notebook? And you get caught up with all the procedural stuff instead of thinking about, you know, what's the point of a math journal? So uh, fast forward, I've had quite a few conversations with Marilyn Burns just about writing in general. I mean, between you and Marilyn, you're my two writing. I'm in, I'm in good company. <laughs> people who influenced me about writing, and Ellen Key, of course. Um, and, and Marilyn talked about uh, this book by William Zinsser called Writing to Learn. And she said, you know, this was kind of her main influence about writing. And so I have this little postcard, I think that you and I, I might've yep. sent this to you. I have that still. It says, uh, and Zinsser says, writing is thinking on paper, and then the other quote I have on this is, how much do we learn about a subject through writing that we wouldn't learn in any other way? And so between reading his book and my conversations with her and some subsequent conversations with you, I started thinking about, you know, how could they really learn more deeply about their mathematics? And then would it increase their agency? Would they feel better about themselves? by actually writing it down. I mean, I, I know myself when I start to write, I start to think, oh, I actually know a little bit about something. <laughs> and then I can see what I don't know too. So that, that helps me. So at this point in the interview, I was kind of curious, how did she use these journals as a teacher? Did she grade them or did she use them in a different way? Check out Nina's response. Lots of times journals are for teachers, so they are a, a, a form of, of uh, assessment, you know. Yeah. Or like uh, students making their learning visible to you, yes. right? Yes, right. And while they're not necessarily graded, they're a window into what the student is thinking so that you can then gauge your instruction on what they're thinking. And I've done, I mean, I've used journals that way. But I think with this project, I really wanted it to be about a tool for them. Again, in the dream world, they would be like, oh, this is amazing. Now I can really see what I'm learning about mathematics and I can use this as a tool to build upon what I already know. Now we'll be talking more later in this interview about how she used this kind of writing as a tool. But I wanted to circle back to what she said about how it would work in a dream world 
Nina will be the first to tell you that her teaching does not operate in such a world. We all know this, right? But in spite of the ups and downs of this project, some really special things did begin to happen. Well, I had one girl, she was really touched by this project and she just said, it's the first time in math I had an opportunity to sit down and really think about what I was thinking. And she said, I love to write. So this really made me feel better about myself in math class because I could just write the act of writing made me feel like I was achieving more in mathematics, which I was like, holy cow, that's, I mean, so, <laughs> I mean, is that a success? I don't know. I think it is. So at this point, maybe you're wondering, how should I get started with this kind of writing? Because as you know, when you learn a new teaching strategy, it's not a matter of just implementing it and everything works magically. Sometimes we need to start small and scale up, or sometimes we need to scaffold some things. Check out how Nina got started. You know, for fourth graders to say, okay, reflect on your math today. Um, that can be a little bit of a challenge. So we would have certain prompts. You know, what was something that you learned today? How did you connect what we did today with something you knew from the past? Um, we could say you had a little blank showed me today that. Um, and so like with everything we do, we always have to start small, right? Otherwise, we, if we, we all hesitate to start. But the one thing I've, always, I've learned in all my years is that you should, you got to just start. And so start small. And so I had requested that they all bring composition notebooks to fourth grade. And we would de don dedicate that to math. And I said, I'm going to have them write for five minutes each day, maybe three days a week. I wasn't going to try, again, I got to try to keep it small. And some days I would set a timer, some days I wouldn't like because you know how it goes at the end of class, you're still still crunching the conversations in. And so I would give them about, you know, to start off two to three minutes to write, I'd set a timer and I'd say, you know, everybody's gonna write, you're just gonna write. It doesn't matter if you write, math is dumb. I don't care, I want you to write about what you learned in math today. And I said, I'll set the timer and I'm going to go right too, because, you know, I, I need to model the behavior. So we would all write and the timer would go off and I'd say, you know, we have 30 seconds to kind of wrap things up because sadly there's some kids who were still trying to write it down. I felt bad that the timer had gone off, but, um, and then the best part was I would always say, um, does anybody want to share? And it is so wonderful. Again, like you said, there are, there are children who were like, finally in math class, I get to share. Like, I might not be the fastest thinker in math, which we now know that fast is not, doesn't mean you're good at math, mm -hmm. um, but they had an opportunity to share. And then I would say, okay, now, if you want me to read your journal, just bring your notebook in and just lay it open on my, my table over here and I will read it tonight and that year i decided to put a few comments on post-it notes but um, i didn't always i told him i said i'm not going to always comment so don't leave this for me <laughs> be getting a letter back from me leave it because you wanted me to read it and you know some days it would be two notebooks some days it would be 15 out of 25 kids so 
Now, I was curious. Did every single kid write? Were there any reluctant writers? Her response said something really interesting about her classroom culture, but also about the school culture. In all my years, there was har- there were hardly any students who would refuse to write. Yeah. Now, some of them never... It wasn't as it wasn't a successful path for them. That was okay, you know. I, I but for ninety five percent of them, they would write. Now, um, my school, my elementary school, as you know, is very involved in the reading writing project out of Columbia with Lucy Calkins, and so writing in our school is encouraged all the time. So, what impact that has, I don't know. But okay. I think anytime someone, it's like. Um, Julia Cameron's morning pages. Like there's, if you just say to somebody, just write, I don't care what you write, just write. So I think that's one reason, that's one thing I saw is that they were really eager to do it. Um, For me, um, it was a really great form of formative assessment. Like, you know, just like, what did they think about today? How do they think about math? Are they really making the connections I think they're making? Mm-hmm. Not so much to judge them as mathematicians, but more to judge my own work. Like, how is this impacting them? Now, I had the very special privilege of having worked with Nina Sudnick, and sometimes when I would walk past her classroom, like a mathematical version of Penny Kittle, she was writing beside her students. So I also wanted to know, what impact did your writing have on the process? And I, you and I had a lot of conversations about this, about, you know, what am I looking for um, in a math class? And so many days, my reflections were about why I thought they either understood a concept, they didn't, why a particular group of students were struggling with this concept, and what kind of things could I do in the future? Now, like you and I have talked, I don't always go back and look at those notes, but I think, again, that simple act of writing kind of embeds it in my brain. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I, it, I can see it there now. And so, yes, when I do write, it does help me to be a more thoughtful teacher, we'll put it that way. Now we know that avoiding burnout involves keeping things novel, keeping things mixed up and interesting. But at the same time, we want to have routines. So I wanted to know how did she balance routines with novelty? I noticed burnout both ways. Um, I guess I would just maybe skip a week or skip a day or something like that. You know, if I could see like, oh, they're just not in tune to this anymore. Uh, with the sixth graders toward the end of the year, it was becoming more routine in that, oh, I just made a silly mistake on this problem and I missed it. I was like, well, that's not really, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not really thinking deeply. So I don't know if they were just getting tired of it. The ones who still liked it, liked it. Some of them were like, okay, I've given this a try. I'm, I'm done. So could it have been, could I have done some more creative work with it too, you know, instead of a simple reflection. So like this year, let me give you a, for instance, uh, one day I said to them, 
Um, I think we're going to write a letter, letter to the third grade mathematicians and tell them what's in store for them in fourth grade math. And oh, they were like so excited about that. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's your comment about novelty versus routine. I think it's good to mix in some different writing assignments along the way. Now, I knew that Nina had been doing this kind of work for years, years before she became a Heinemann Fellow. So I was interested to know, in this process, were there any things that surprised her? Uh, what surprised me was that they were willing to write, you know? Okay. They really don't. And it wasn't like I really had to, as my mother says, pull teeth to get them to do that. Mm -hmm. um, again, I think it's part of who we are as a school. Um and surprised me in a in a surprised me in a negative way has to do with and you and I had a lot of conversations about this that as my friend uh, Leslie says I'm no math teacher I'm no ELA teacher <laughs> and I started to get down these paths where they were just writing you know simple ideas simple concepts simple reflections and I was like well how do I get them to think more deeply. And that's where you and I had some conversations. And I, I would say I was, uh, I know, gosh, like every time I say success, I'm thinking about, you're saying, don't say that. I think that was the biggest stretch for me. And if I would go forward and well, if I do go forward with this, I have to think more about and read more about how to have children be more reflective in their writing. How can I help them? What are some things that you tried? Oh, I didn't try much. Um, I think probably the main thing is the prompts. You know, I do believe the prompts help them and they have a, a choice in the prompts. Mm -hmm. There's like six or seven of them. And I would say, you know, if you don't know what to write about, use one of the prompts, use one, use all seven, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I want you to write for three minutes or five or 20, whatever. And so if you don't know what to write about, use one of the prompts. And I do believe it helped them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like some people just want to play in the sandbox in their own way and be inventive with sand. And some people want shovels and they want the castle molds. Mm -hmm. And both are good. It's just they're different ways of playing. They're different ways of approaching anything, right? Mm -hmm. I like that you gave people different entry points. Did you ever give back a notebook and ask them to write a little bit more? Uh, or what did you do when a student, did you just hand it back and say, okay, wasn't what I was hoping or did you talk to the student? No, I, I didn't, I, that didn't put it too much. Um, I did not push back too much on what they were writing mm -hmm. or what they wrote about. Now, occasionally in um, a couple years ago when I was, having them turn their notebooks in and I would sit down and write something. Um, usually um, <laughs> I was really trying to be conscious of not writing things like, good job. <laughs> I would try to make a comment. I, I noticed that you were thinking about such and such. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more? And so, yes, they would do some of that rewriting for me and I'd say just hand it back to me or show it to me when you get done 
Now, this was a really interesting approach to working with students who were struggling to go deeper with their thinking as they wrote about math. But I was also wondering, what other kinds of struggles did she run into? And what did she do about it? I think the children who had the hardest time um, just had a hard time with writing and reading in general. You know, that's not their chosen form of communication. Um, The children who have difficulty writing would be very happy to come up and tell me a story about a problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hindsight's 20-20, but, you know, I could have been their scribe or something when they were telling me that story. So every child has a story about a problem in math, so... Do you think you'd ever do like a voice to text or like, you know, Flipgrid, one of those video kinds of recordings? Now that I understand Flipgrid, thanks <laughs> to coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, I can see where that would work. I mean, but even some of those kids, you know, like they, I, I know my partner teacher talks about um, some children that is successful voice to text. She had one student that was like a lifesaver for him. But lots of times it's just a distraction issue and they just, you know, they want to talk to a person. They want to have that Mm -hmm. engagement with you. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, uh, yeah, sure. Flipgrid, I think would be, now that I understand Flipgrid, (laughs) it would have been a good tool that. One other thing I know about Nina's classroom is she doesn't let students use pencils. Students have to write in pen because she doesn't want them to erase their answers. She, they can cross out mistakes, but she wants to see all of the parts of students thinking because mistakes are so valuable. Check out how Nina really leans into mistakes in her classroom and encourages a culture of being okay with mistakes. And that was, you know, one girl wrote to me a lot about her mistakes and how it helped her to kind of see the pattern of her mistakes. We do a lot of work with uh, U-Cubed, which is Joe Bowler. And, you know, she's one of her main themes is mistakes grow our brain. And so we would talk about that. Okay, well, you did make a mistake, but so what? Now you know. Now you understand more deeply. Um, Which, again, that's a valuable thing for kids to understand. The mistakes are okay. So, um, I... I would say, you know, I had a sixth grader send me an email. I think it was before school got out for COVID. And she just sent me this quick email. This suddenly, I really miss you. I really felt like I understood math last year. And um, the math that we used last year was something called CPM, which the kids work in um, groups of four. And so it's not me standing in the front of the class teaching them. But... I think she just felt more confident because she could reflect more. Okay, so although I was and continue to be completely inspired by Nina's work, I also wanted to ground myself in reality. I wanted to put myself in the shoes of the teacher who might be reluctant to start this kind of work, so I imagine what kind of question they would ask. And I bet you know that question. How do you fit it all in? How do you make time for writing in math? We, in my math class, we don't do 30 problems. We do one to three problems a day. And we do that because we really want to dissect the problem. 
And so I think that the writing is kind of the next layer to that dissection. And that um, when the kids are working on problems, just that act of writing their thinking, you know, they're not necessarily writing today, I thought this. But in, in, throughout our school, um, starting little people in kindergarten, they're always writing about their work and not, again, using symbols or numbers or pictures. And as, you know, writing teachers have taught me, that is a form of writing. And so I think by that act of writing, they're reflecting. They can see their thinking, so they're reflecting. See, reflect, look, reflect, you know. And um, I think this writing is just the kind of natural progression of that, the writing at the end. So, okay, I've got all this out here in front of me. What does this mean? And I think for some kids that wrap up is a powerful piece to them. You have to, you have to carve out the time. You have to set your timer or whatever it is you do. Um, you have to say, if math class ends at noon, you have to set the timer for 11.50 and wherever you are, boop. And we have that kind of rigor when we do something called number talks, you know, like a number talk is only supposed to last seven up to 10 minutes. If you go longer, it mm -hmm. doesn't work. And so um, you- well, More of a discipline than a skill in some ways. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, and if we're online, I like what you just said, you know? <laughs> so maybe I put some of the other work that I had them do on the back burner and I just tell them to email me and just say, you know, say what you want. You could just say math was done today. I don't care. Just tell me what you're thinking. And to get that routine down with them in the form of an email or something. Um, or a Flipgrid, hello, you know, because they seem to, I would say, Noah, of all the online tools we used, um, the kids that were the hardest to reach would use Flipgrid above all else. Yeah. You know, some of it was, they were easy assignments, would you rather kind of assignments and things like that. Sure. But I think that that generation of the, the TikTok generation, <laughs> you know, so maybe TikTok's the tool next year, I don't know. But yeah. they respond well to that. So maybe do a flip grid, send me a flip grid of your math today. As we began to bring our interview to a close, I felt like it was important to ask, the why. Why write? Why write in science? Why write in social studies? And in Nina's case, why write in math class? And her final comments were just brilliant. You know, it's something I was just sitting here thinking right now, too. And I've been doing a little bit of this since my first year of teaching, which was 16 years ago. And it's like I never really let go of this. And I and I believe it's because I know, and you're gonna like bang me over the head for this, but that writing is valuable to me. And I'm I'm by no means a writer, but I know what that when I write, whether it's morning pages or reflections or blog posts or whatever, that it has always brought me value.
always so excited when I get to talk to Nina Sudnick. And I was even more excited that we got to talk on the record and record an episode for this podcast. Nina's work as a Heinemann Fellow can be found at the Heinemann blog, which I've linked in this episode's description. If you want to be more involved in the work of the Ohio Writing Project, I've also placed several OWP links in the episode's description. Above all, though, thank you for listening to Write Answers. Mm-hmm.